Uh, have you guys ever just had one of those weeks where it just you feel like everything just piles on? You know, and it's like, what in the world is going on? You know? And this past week was one of those weeks, not just for me, but for my wife also. And it was just a really stressful week for a few days there in the middle. And uh, I remember it was Thursday, I was home for lunch, and we were both just sitting there, and we were like, man, what, what, what's going on? You know, you just feel overwhelmed and stressed. And I looked at her, and I said, you know, I just feel like crying. She said, I do too, so I think we may have cried a little bit there in the kitchen. And then we say, you know, well, let's just pray. Let's just pray about this. And so we prayed, and I just, I thank you, because it, when I was praying, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, God, you were faithful through all that, and, you know, this weekend has been awesome. God is good, and you just feel, you know, like that burden has just been lifted, you know what I mean? And God just kind of takes it. And so I appreciate that, and that's, that's what I was thankful for this morning, and just, I just praise God for that. Um, follow me, Jesus says. Last week we began talking about what it looks like for us to follow Jesus in our lives. And if I were to ask you today, if you were a follower of Jesus, I guarantee you that most of us, without hesitation, would say, without a doubt, yes to that question. But the reality is we all have different perspectives on what it means to follow Jesus. I mean, we've done a a good job of taking Jesus' words, follow me, to fit whatever our lifestyle may be. For some, following Jesus is very casual. It's a very comfortable thing. It's like a, a stroll in the park. It's easy. You're never really challenged. You're just coasting. For casual Christians, it's about a one-time decision you make without any regards to commands or obedience. You, know, you walk down the aisle, you said a prayer, you were baptized, whatever the case may be, and that was it for you. And then there are some that might put a little more effort into it. They may attend church two or three times a month. Their parents are Christians. They own three Bibles. They're all King James Version. They have a Jesus fish on their car. You wear Christian T-shirts. You may even read your Bible, pray, and even teach a Sunday school class. But again, there's no real commitment to following Jesus. You follow follow Jesus more out of convenience or or habit. And the point is, many of us are quick to say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus, but are not sure what following Jesus really, really means. Culturally, we identify ourselves as Christians, but biblically, we're not following him. And it's because of our culture, because casual, comfortable Christianity is so widespread in our culture today. We are all prone to spiritual deception. And so the question that we want to explore today is the same question that Jesus asked any would-be potential follower of his. And that is, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to follow Jesus, are you willing to count the cost? Uh, most of us, you know, would, would say absolutely, you know. Most of us wouldn't mind Jesus making a few changes in our lives, right? I mean, we're okay with that. And it's kind of like when you take your car for inspection, you know, you're okay if they find a few minor repairs. I mean, if they got to slap a, a, a wiper blade on your car, you're okay with that, you know. Put a bulb in my headlight, I'm, I'm totally fine with that, you know. But man, they come back and say, hey, we got some issues here. You're like, I don't know about this, come on, you know. And I think that's the way we approach our relationship with Jesus. See, Jesus is not about making minor changes. 
Jesus wants to build a complete new transmission and engine. And so the question is, has following Jesus cost us anything? Let me explain it this way. Several years ago, uh, I decided that I wanted to get on this fitness kick, get in shape, lose weight. So I joined a gym and began going on a regular basis. I, uh, I would spend time on the treadmills. I would spend time on the elliptical machines. I even signed up for a Pilates class. You guys know what Pilates is? You guys ever tried Pilates? It's tough. It's tough. I, I signed up. I was like, I could do this, man. I, the first couple of days, I was like, I don't know if I can do this or not. But I did. I signed up for it, right? And I was like, I was doing great. I was building up my endurance. I was able to run for longer periods of time. But the only problem was is I wasn't losing any weight. I said, what's going on here? Why wasn't I losing weight? See, the problem was, even though I was exercising, I hadn't changed my diet. I mean, I loved to eat. I loved eating big portions. I was still eating a lot of junk food. I was still drinking a lot. Sodas are my weakness. Soda is like my kryptonite, you know what I mean? Soda is my weakness. And so I struggled with that, and and I loved to snack at night. I loved popcorn. Anybody love popcorn? You got, oh, we're fasting. What am I talking about? I shouldn't be talking about food up here. No, I'm sorry. Behind me, Satan, right? I didn't think about that when I was writing this. See, my problem was I wanted to lose weight, but I wasn't willing to make the personal sacrifices involved. I didn't want to give up the foods I loved. It tasted so good. I think this is how people approach Jesus. They, they want to experience the benefits of Jesus. We want to go to heaven. But we don't necessarily want to make the sacrifices that Jesus asks of us. And I want to encourage you this morning because I truly believe that if we could just grasp a little bit of God's great love for us, the cost that he went through for us in sending his son Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins, If we're able to see ourselves for who we are in desperate need of a Savior, and if we're able to see the cross and Jesus for who he is, man, what what would look different in our lives? What would it cost us? So I want to start today by reading a portion from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. We we read just a, a portion of that last week. I'm actually going to have you turn to two different places, so that way you'll have it ready. But go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew. It's the very first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to start in verse 13 and read through 27. But I also want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third Gospel. And uh, you're going to be in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. So Matthew 7. In Luke chapter 9. You'll notice a lot of folks from our church wearing shirts like this. It's the people that participated in the... we want to send out a message to everybody, and I know there's a lot of people here that didn't wear their shirts, but Ucrops 10K was yesterday, and uh, everybody did a great job yesterday, and uh, so that's fantastic. I tell you, our worship team did a good job this morning, man. They did an awesome job, awesome job. 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 27, this is what it says. This is Jesus talking. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone, this is the passage we read last week, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. This passage of Scripture wraps up what is called Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. If you're not familiar with Jesus' sermon, it's sermon is a collection of Jesus' teachings that basically lays out what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus just kind of went through and said, if you're going to follow me, this is kind of what it's going to look like. And, but the emphasis on Jesus' teaching is, again, the heart. Now, last week, we said that Jesus wants to make. We said, I will f- come follow me, and I will make. And, and the idea is that Jesus wants to change us, that Jesus doesn't want to just fix our behavior, but he wants to give us a new heart. And so if you missed last week's sermon, or if you missed any of our sermons, we have on our website, you can go to our podcast. You can listen to our media, launch media player, and listen to those sermons. I encourage you to do that if you miss a week. But when Jesus delivers this sermon, he would have not only been addressing potential would-be followers, but he also would have been addressing the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Remember, religious leaders were all about behavior. They were all about the external part. They were all about rules and commands and, and all these different things. They were all about rules. And they would place the burden on rule following on others. So Jesus does something absolutely mind-blowing. He takes the law, which is the Old Testament, covenant, which is what the religious leaders were strict on following, and basically says, okay, guys, you think you have it all together. You think that you are following me. Well, let me, let me, uh, let me share this with you. And this is what Jesus said. He says, well, guess, guess what? So Jesus, throughout the sermon, would say things like this. He would say, you have heard it said. You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus takes it a step further. And he goes on, he says, You have heard it said, you shall not commit murder, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. I mean, what, what, what is Jesus doing here? What's the point? And Jesus is exposing them, and it says, You don't have it all together. 
You don't have enough to earn God's favor. You can't merit salvation. You will fall utterly short. And that's the point that Jesus is making. You think you're following my commands? You think you're, you're not murdering somebody? Well, guess what? If you hate somebody, and they're like, oh my goodness. So Jesus exposes them. Jesus shows us just how short we fall. And the reason he does it is to show just how much we need him. We need Jesus to give us a new heart because we can't fix it on our own. And just a side note, because I want you to understand this is what biblical faith is. Biblical faith is always faith in the person of Jesus Christ. John 3.16, for whoever believes in him. So part of this faith is our realization that we need Jesus. We see ourselves for who we are, sinners, and we see Jesus for who he is, perfect. And we want Jesus. So we repent. And we, last week we said repentance was a turning from our sin, turning from myself, and turning towards God. And so we repent of our sins and ourself, and we run towards God. And when we do that, that's when Jesus begins to transform us. This is where Jesus begins to change us from the inside out. And then we place our full trust and our confidence in what Jesus did on the cross. And see, that's the point. Jesus is saying, do not put your trust in your own self. You cannot follow the law. You cannot keep the commands. Put your full trust and confidence in what I did on the cross. I paid the penalty for your sins. I paid the price. And that's what Jesus is saying. He paid the penalty. He died, was buried, rose again victorious. And I realize that there is nothing that I can do except put my faith in him. I love what the author of Sticky Faith, Kara Powell, says. She says, once we've put our faith in Jesus, once we realize that there is absolutely nothing that we can do, once we see our need for a Savior, she says our life becomes one big, giant thank you. And in other words, because of what Jesus has done for us, we devote our lives to serving him no matter what the cost is. It's like getting married or choosing to become a parent. You sacrifice for love, right? I mean, you give up what you want for the other person. If you don't believe that, ask anyone here that's married or has kids. Yeah, you, you, you are getting married, and, and it's no longer about you. You are no longer number one. And so you give up certain things. It's a cost. But you sacrifice for love. And because of God's great love for us, we sacrifice for him. So Jesus gets to the end of the sermon, and he gives the application. He says, here are two gates. Which will you choose? Jesus is drawing a line as clearly as possible between the way that leads to destruction and the way that leads to life. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. That, that is two words, narrow versus wide. They not only refer to the majority versus minority. See, Jesus is saying the majority of people are going to choose comfortable Christianity. The majority of people are going to choose the other road. There's going to be a minority of people that choose the narrow road. 
But the word that is used for narrow means to experience trouble and difficulty. While the wild, while the wild, wild wide road can have overtones of prosperous and easy. And so Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, it's going to be narrow, it's going to be tight, it's going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy. But again, I want to encourage you because Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome this world. Amen? And so let's look at three would-be followers of Jesus in Luke chapter 9. If you have that held in, in place there, let's go there real quick. Luke chapter 9, verses 52 through, 60, 52 through 62. We find out pretty quickly that following Jesus will uh, cost them. Actually, I'm going to have you start. Hold on a second. I'm going to have you start somewhere. I'm going to start somewhere else here. Let's go to Luke uh, chapter 9. Let's start in verse... 57. Start in verse 57. This is what it says. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, Come follow me. The man agreed, but said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. I want you to get uh, a bird's eye view of what's going on here. And so I want us to jump back uh, to verse 51, and we're going to read that now. Because you see what Jesus is, is saying to these three would-be followers. But again, like I said last week, I think it's a good, good idea to kind of get a bird's-eye view of what's going on here. And, and so this is what it says in verse 51. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to the Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. James and John saw this. They said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, so they went on their way to another village. See, Jesus is going to Jerusalem because it is his final destination. It's ultimately where Jesus is going to suffer and die on the cross for the world's sins. And on the third day, he will rise. But on their way there, they are rejected by Samaritans. So Jesus is essentially saying to these three would-be followers, if you want to follow me, you may not have a place to stay, you may not be popular, and you may be rejected, and it will be narrow and difficult. So this is the context in which Jesus approaches these three would-be followers. He's, just, he's on his way to Jerusalem, his mind is focused on the cross, he just got rejected by the Samaritans, and so this is kind of the context in which he approaches these three would-be followers. I mean, it sounds kind of harsh, right? I mean, what was Jesus trying to teach these guys? He was teaching that there is a cost to follow me and that the road may be difficult and narrow. They said, I will follow you. And Jesus said, okay, here's what it's going to cost you. I love this because Jesus doesn't hold back. You know, as, as long as Jesus was doing his miracle thing and feeding people, 
they wanted to be around Jesus. He, he could draw a crowd, right? But once he began to draw the line in the sand between casual and follower, the crowds dispersed. And what's interesting is, is a lot of churches know how to draw a crowd, right? Provide a great worship, provide great programming, provide a comfortable atmosphere. You guys comfortable? Coffee, tea, cushion seats. We're good, right? And oftentimes what we're saying is, is be comfortable. And we don't want to challenge people in their walk too much, right? I mean, we don't want to ask you to give too much. You know, give when you can. We don't want to ask you to serve too much. You know, if, if you're able to serve, I mean, I, we're short in our children's ministry with volunteers, but if you find a time, you know, if you can volunteer a little bit, that, that, that would be great, you know, just, but just on your own time, you know. That's, that's kind of what we say. And anyway, we want to make it as easy as possible. And so what we do is we create a very low-level sacrifice kind of church. But Jesus wasn't like that. He says, you want to follow me? I'm headed towards Jerusalem where I will meet my fate. I'm going to be persecuted, beaten, nailed to a cross. And see, the point is, Jesus knows our hearts. And he wants to be the one who captures our hearts. And he knows that these things compete for our affection. He looks every one of us in the face this morning and he sees right into our hearts. And so he says in verse 58, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Will you follow me? Now is Jesus telling us that we need to be homeless? I don't think so. But I believe that Jesus knew our attachments, our possessions are potentially the most destructive thing for following Jesus. And to be honest, the culture we live in doesn't help us out in this area. I mean, we're all about Bigger, better, and newer. Our eyes tend to be drawn to nice, new, shiny things. You know, it's, it's great because Robin, she kind of tempers this. I, I'm, I am very much like this, okay? She's very much not like this. And so it's very good. I, I have a friend who they're both like this, and they get into trouble because they, they, they see these things, and they go, oh, i got to have this, i got to have this. So every time we go out, man, I'm like, oh, I could really use a new this. She's like, oh, I don't think so. I'm like, oh. I could, you know, and so she tempers that, you know, but that's the way it is, man, you know, and there's nothing wrong with material possessions or, or, or anything like that, but we have to be honest and evaluate where we stand with Jesus in relation to those things. We've got to ask the tough questions, where is your heart, and I've got to be honest, I thought about this, and I really want you to take time to evaluate this, to examine yourself, and I, I've done this, and, and, I, and it's scary to me because if I'm honest, if I'm honest, and if Jesus came down and he looked into my heart, which he, he does, he sees it in my heart, and he asked, said, Aaron, are you, are you willing to follow me? And I said, yes, Lord, I'm willing to follow you. You know what I think would be the one thing that competes for Jesus in my life? And this is going to sound crazy to you guys. It's college football. I mean, you chuckle, but I'm, I'm being dead honest. I think Jesus would say, you know what, sell your season tickets, get rid of cable, and follow me. I, I'm just being honest with you. I mean, and that's, that's what we, I mean, I, I schedule, I, I've got a confession to make, okay? I schedule youth trips around college football weekends. I really do. The reason we don't get rid of cable in our house is because of college football. 
I mean, I, 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 I enjoy going to the games. I love tailgating. I love, I love the atmosphere. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, God, do I love these things as more than you? Or do I love you as much as I love these things? I mean, I'm just being honest. And, and that's what I want you to do this morning. Is I want you to, I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is that you struggle. I don't know what it is that's competing for Jesus' affection. But Jesus can look into our heart and he knows. And so we've got to do some honest evaluation here. And for me, for me, that's what it was. And see, what we do is, is we tend to buy into, the, like the video said, we tend to buy into this idea that stuff makes us happy. I'm guilty of this. You know, you buy that brand new vehicle, and you think, oh, this is what makes me happy. Or you, you, the, bigger, the bigger and better this. And it doesn't take long before that newness wears off and, and what is, you're dreading the payment, right? You know, I did that, man. I bought a brand new truck when I was working, and I was like, man, I love this thing. And it wasn't like a six months down the road. I was like, man, I hate this thing. You know? See, the Bible teaches that happiness is fleeting because it often depends on things outside of ourselves. But true joy is eternal because it's based on a relationship with Jesus. See, see, see God is our goal. Jesus is our goal. Having that relationship with him. Everlasting joy. So in Luke 9, 60, Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. See, I think the same holds true with family as it does with material possessions. Jesus knew that family attachments can potentially be destructive to following Jesus. Jesus knew family ties are tight. And that it could have a greater pull on our allegiance. I mean, think about this. How difficult is it at family functions when you have family that's non-believers and you're a believer? Think about the tension. Think about the brother or sister who you may not agree with their lifestyle. Do you say something to them? I mean, we hesitate because we don't want to sever that relationship. We don't want to cause tension, right? I mean, family is, is tough. And I think we can all think about those situations and those family members in our lives that, man, it's tough. And this is what Jesus is alluding to. You know, our relationship with him versus our relationship, I don't know. It's challenging. Challenging. See, family relationships can be challenging because you don't want the tension to be there. You want to get along. It's difficult when you get ridiculed by family members for standing up for what you believe. So maybe we hesitate to rock the boat. And then Jesus raises the question in verse 62 about those that are indecisive. He says, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So you will not make Christ shine in your life if you're constantly second-guessing the value of following him. Looking back means kind of longing back. It means that we're not really sure Jesus is worth following. It's like we, we look back at the life we were living and we're like, oh, do I miss that? Do I, do I want that more than I want Jesus? So what does it cost you? It costs you, maybe you're not as popular as a co-worker at work because you stand up for what's right. And maybe you are the oddball in your family. 
Maybe you're the oddball anyway. Is it making monetary sacrifices for you? Not getting the promotion because you stand on the values that Jesus stands on? What does it cost you? And I want to encourage you this morning because sometimes the cost may seem too much to bear. But I want to encourage you because of His great love. Right? I mean, the message of Jesus' death and resurrection demands something of us. But the good news this morning is that Jesus is not asking us to do something He hasn't already done Himself. Yes, it will be narrow and difficult. But Jesus says, follow me. I will be with you. It'll be tough. So follow him completely because of his great love. He gave himself. He, he left the Father's glory, the security of heaven. He humbled himself to assume human nature, to be born in a stable, and laid in a manger, to work at carpenter's bench, to make friends with ordinary fishermen, to die on a criminal's cross, to bear the sin of the world. And I just want to encourage you this morning that it's only as we see the cross that we become willing to count the cost ourselves to follow Christ. This morning, uh, we're going to uh, take uh, our communion. We're going to gather around a table. And communion is always an opportunity for us to Think about what it costs Jesus, his great love, and Jesus is asking us to count the cost. So I want us to take a time during this communion to examine what Christ did for us, the sacrifice he made, the cost that it, what it cost him, and then I want us to think about our own life and think about what are we doing and following is it costing us anything and then I want you to take the bread and the juice as they pass it around and then after we sing that uh, we'll have a song there and then after we sing that we'll have a response time and I just want to encourage you if you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ if you've never repented of your sins and turned from yourself and turned towards God we really want to encourage you to do that this morning, and we can make that happen. Maybe, you, maybe you've already done that, and maybe, like we said last week, you just you, casual Christianity is kind of what you've been doing. And you just need to come forward to the cross and repent of that. I don't know what it is for you, but this morning as we, as we do this, I want you to take time to examine that and then respond. So I'm going to pray. The band's going to play. And uh, we're going to pass out the communion. Father God, we just thank you so much for your great love. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us. And what it cost you. Father, my prayer today is that Father, we will take a hard look at ourselves. and Father, we will see ourselves for who we are and we will see that we need you. Father, as we reflect upon the sacrifice you made for us, may we reflect upon our service to you and our sacrifice for you. Because, God, you, 
you displayed the greatest love ever. And you are worthy. I just pray these things in Jesus' name.